Amen. Thank you, worship team. Why should the devil have all the good music? Well, he actually doesn't. The reality of music, I was thinking even as we were being led in worship tonight, that across this city, across this province, across this country, around our world, this evening, music is being sung. But how much of it is going up as a sacrifice of praise to God? The amazing thing is, as we worship, our audience is God. We bring glory to Him. We bring honor to Him. It's amazing to be able to do that. Uh, take this hymn note just for a moment. I want to use this as an illustration because the book of Psalms is a collection. It really is the Bible's hymnal. I just want you to look at the foreword because I found it very edifying. Again, music has changed a lot. One of the most interesting courses I've had the opportunity of teaching, those of you who don't know me uh, won't realize that I uh, serve at Toronto Baptist Seminary and Bible College, downtown Toronto. And on a couple of occasions, I've had the opportunity of teaching a course entitled The Worshiping Church. And as part of that process, we look biblically and uh, theologically and practically at the whole function of worship. What is worship? How do you define worship? How has worship changed? How may we respond to God? Uh, worship in the Old Testament, worship in the New Testament, worship through church history. Uh, part of the challenge is we only have three class hours every week to do it. So we're just getting launched. It's not a major for us, but I tell you, it has drawn me in a fresh way to an understanding, I think, of the, of the priority of worship. We will be spending eternity in worship. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we're, we're, we're just past the rehearsal. We're just getting warmed up, right? John Newton had it right. Notice in the foreword here, it says, well over 300 times, God's word instructs his people to praise him. It's not, it's not optional. It, it, it's a command. Indeed, if frequency has any relationship whatsoever to importance, praise, joyfulness, thanksgiving, song, rejoicing, even shouting. Did you notice that one? must be an attitude of life God considers highly significant and in which his church, both in our corporate worship and in our personal daily lives, is often deficient. When we fail to worship, we fail to honor God for who he is. Worship has changed. We're not using hymnals as we once did because we're called in Scripture to sing unto the Lord a new song. How can you sing new songs if you just use an old stuff all the time? I love old hymns. Those of you who know me know I have a collection of hymnals. I love hymns. I love new things. Because we need to engage ourselves and the next generation in the praise and worship and honor of God. One of the most exciting things I, I think has just been being drawn into worship, forgetting about myself, my issues, and just being caught up as we lift high the name of Christ in praise and prayer. Let's pray and ask God for his help as we open his word again tonight. This is our final uh, evening study as we take a look at the book of Psalms and try to engage you in really a process of making use of these psalms that God has provided for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've not left us without instruction and direction and help as we approach you. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Father, with those parameters spoken by the very lips of the Lord Jesus, we pray that we would be guided 
in worship. We've just sung, this has been our prayer, take my life and let it be consecrated, set apart, sanctified for your purposes. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you have provided for us to be better equipped. This is only the rehearsal. Father, we pray that we would spend our energy, spend our time, build one another up, that we might honor you as our God. We might lift high the name of Jesus Christ. We might engage this generation and the generations to come to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Lord, we pray that this time would be used to edify and strengthen your people, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Take the book of Psalms, please, and I want to talk a little bit about, first of all, the, uh, the structure uh, of this book, just to give you again some more uh, overview of how this book came to be collected, because it is a collection of songs, collection of hymns, collection of prayers gathered by the people of God for, to, to be used in primarily corporate worship, group worship. There's a lot of individual expression. I'm, I'm grateful for all the downtime that David had. King David, and even before he was King David, uh, went through a lot of problems, a lot of issues, a lot of perplexity in his life, and you can trace that as you read through his life story in, in First and Second Samuel, and you realize that God was keeping the pressure on, and God the Holy Spirit was working in David's heart through all the pressure, challenging him, pushing him, overwhelming him. Think of the occasion when he and his men had been out serving, and as they came back to the community of Ziklag, anybody know that? There's a good Zed word for you. Ziklag. They came back to Ziklag, which had been their home base, and everything was burned. Everything was gone. Their wives, their possessions, everything had been confiscated by the enemy. What does it say? The text says, look it up, get a good concordance, do a study, or go to BibleGateway.com, and you'll discover it says David encouraged himself in the Lord. The men were uh, about to throw him out. He was their leader. They had followed him. They had sacrificed. They had gone out on a mission with him in a military campaign. They'd sacrificed everything, and they came back, and everything was gone at home. What do you do when you face those dark hours? You encourage yourself in the Lord. You better know God and know how to build yourself up in your faith. If you notice in Psalms, just about open up please to, uh, to Psalm 1 as we sort of set the tone for where we're going to go again into Psalm 4. But you'll notice just before Psalm 1, the little word Psalms 1 to 41. The book of Psalms is actually divided up into five parts five sections because it's designed as a cycle of worship it's designed as a pattern of worship that was to be used in the temple particularly the second temple that had been built first temple was built by king solomon of course as a place to meet with god and as a place to honor god in a more permanent location david had wanted to do that and god had said back to him through nathan the prophet you're not allowed to do that there's too much blood on your hands You've been involved, you're a man of war. Your son Solomon will be the one who builds the temple. And so there's incredible detail. God is a God of detail. And God directed Solomon to, to mobilize the materials, to gather the resources, and then to erect this first temple. Well, that temple was destroyed as Nebuchadnezzar came in with his troops and, and invaded Jerusalem, first of all in 606 B.C. and then in 586 he came in and he completely leveled the place and took the Jews off to Babylon, modern-day Iraq. 
And they were forced to engage in worship in a new way. No temple. Uh, Psalm 137, you don't need to turn to it. It was popularized a number of years ago in a more contemporary version. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yes, we wept when we remembered Zion. And so the people of God who were displaced from their place of worship, it would be like us having the building destroyed. Does that end our worship? Of course not. God is spirit, and we may worship him in spirit and in truth anywhere. So they began to worship in a different way. Same God, same scriptures, but they began to engage more in, in teaching. They began to develop the synagogues and places of instruction rather than gathering in Jerusalem, which they were exiled from. Well, the structure of the Psalms very quickly has five parts, 1 to 41, and then if you turn over, please, to chapter 42, 42 to 72, we won't worry, there's no quiz on this, but 73 to 89, 90 to 106, and 107 to 150. Don't worry about those numbers. You can look that up yourself in terms of details. But I want you to notice at the end of Psalm 41, as an illustration, this is how every book or every section of Psalms concludes. It concludes with praise. Having gone through the cycle, and we've been engaging in that in these morning studies of praise and prayer and perplexity, the psalmist, as it were, the, the compiler, the, the, the editor of the Bible's hymnal, concludes each section with praise. So notice Psalm 41, verse 13. It's really set apart from the rest of the text. Really, the psalm ends in verse 12. And then the editor, the compiler, the one whom the Spirit of God used to gather these resources for corporate worship, says to the people of God, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. Now, the people of God are to engage in worship. It, it, it's okay to say amen. Is it okay to say amen, Pastor Calvin? Amen, amen brother. All right, you've got to go travel into the southern United States if you think it's not okay. You just, you know, you haven't only begun to worship until you get into the deep south, and you hear your sermon sometimes twice, you sometimes hear singing twice, you certainly, certainly hear truth repeated because that's the way the people of God there engage in worship. And you say amen as an, as an affirmation. We agree. May it be done. Yes, Lord, we're trusting you. We believe in you. Over, please, to chapter 72. Over to chapter 72, just a couple of illustrations. Again, the, the compiler, the collector, has gathered a number of psalms, a number of prayers in Psalms 42 to 72, and as he draws this section to a close, in verse 18, he writes, Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen, amen. and amen. Let's say that together. Amen, amen and amen. In other words, yes, Lord, we want the whole earth. Now, Pastor Rick led us through an amazing study of the book of Jonah. The issue with the people of God during the time of Jonah is they forgot this. We're, we're quite happy to have the glory of God, the presence of God, the felt sense 
the, 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 pardon me, the, the felt presence of God with us, but we don't want anybody else to have it. We'll keep him to ourselves, thank you very much. And Jonah becomes the representative voice of this stubbornness who, who, who are saying, we're not sharing God with anybody. No. You, how could you possibly sing in worship, may the whole earth be filled with his glory and then refuse to go to Nineveh? Doesn't make sense. Yet we sing all kinds of hymns, all kinds of songs, all kinds of courses about sacrifice. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to me, to thee, but don't send me to Tanzania. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything, but, you know, I have my plans. You follow what I'm saying? Our worship, the words from our mouth, betrays our heart's condition. What did Jesus say to the people in his day of, about worship? He was quoting one of the prophets. These people honor me with their, help me out, lips, but their hearts are far from me. Great words coming out. Oh, yes, oh, yes, Lord. God is exalted. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your might. What a great text to hear that this morning in the Baptist, Baptist day. Wow. But then to do that, then to live that out, may the whole earth be filled with his glory. One more example, and that is Psalm 150. Because if you want a big finish, if you've been writing a musical book, you have to get all the instruments, all the people that play any instrument, and you've got to engage them in the praise of God. Amen? Amen. That's how Psalm 150, the whole psalm is a big finish, a finale. Is that the right word to you musicians? The last big event, the last big musical production for the night? The grand finale. What does the psalmist write? Well, I want to read it to you from a magazine called Hope. Uh, those of us in our Tuesday night Bible study, you've already seen this. Let me just give you a little background and, and make this practical. I've got some copies if you can make use of it. Hope magazine is a publication of the Gideons. How many of you have seen it? A few of you, good. May more have seen it. It's a great tool. The president of the Gideons was waiting in a waiting room as his father-in-law was in intensive care. And as he sat in that waiting room, the, the TV was on some inane channel, broadcasting nothing, and the magazine sitting on the table, sitting on the counter, were about, you know, really important people in the world like Justin Bieber and Shania Twain and, you know, Lady Gaga or whatever, and he looked at that and he said, what help is that during this crisis? Oh, that there was a tool, oh, that there was truth available to help people during the dark challenges of life. So we went back, got online, found a, an artist, visual artist, a photographer, who takes pictures and puts scriptures uh, to them, and you can take, come and take a look at these if you want afterwards, and said, would you be our uh, editor, would you assist us in this graphic design of taking 50 stories, 50 songs from real people and how they found hope. Remarkable. So the first half of this 
magazine is on Psalms. The second half is the Gospel of John. Let me read to you. Again, this is their version. This is a very creative presentation of Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. Now, this is a New Living Translation they're using. Praise him with a blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with a lyre and harp. Praise him with a tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with cloud, pardon me, cloud, try loud, loud, <laughs> clanging cymbals. Let everything that breathes sing praise to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen? Here's the big finish. You've gathered 150 songs, 150 prayers from all kinds of people. And you want the people of God to engage in pouring out their hearts to God. How do you finish that big event? One last note of praise. One last note of lifting high the name of God. Whatever you have, whatever instrument, whatever tool at your disposal, praise him with it. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. So Psalms is the largest and perhaps the most widely used book in the Bible. It's quoted a number of times in the New Testament. It was a tool. God expects us to know it and use it, just as he does all of his word. Jesus used the Psalms. Jesus quoted the Psalms. What was Jesus meditating upon as he was on the cross? My God my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, 1. Psalm 118. Now, we have a sort of a more modern version, right? This is the day the Lord has made. Do you know that little chorus? I'm sorry, but that's not a happy song in the book of Psalms. Do you know in that Psalm 118? You look it up. 118, 24. What is that referring to? It's referring to the day of sacrifice. Jesus, with his disciples there in the upper room, having reclined at the table, they're finishing the meal. That says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out. Jesus, with the cross in mind, Jesus, who is going to go into the Garden of Gethsemane on the east side of that city of Jerusalem and pour out his heart, Lord, if Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There's a take my life and let it be prayer, isn't it? And as he's going with that suffering in mind, with that separation because of your sin and my sin, he says to the disciples, let's sing. I'm on the road to suffering. This is the day that the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. It kind of takes it away from like a happy, happy song because the sun is shining. Read it again. Psalm 118, the last psalm of the great Hallel. The psalms accompanied and built into the Passover remembrance. But I'm only taking you to Psalm 4 tonight, so we won't, we won't get that far. Don't worry. Service will end on time. All right. So the psalms include all kinds of subjects. We've seen some of them introduced in these early weeks, including topics like war and peace Worship, judgment, messianic prophecy, praise, and lament. 
all kinds of topics picked up by David and Asaph and Solomon and Moses and all of the various compilers, the various writers who are writing out, journaling their praise, writing out their prayers. It's not such a bad thing. Obviously, they were preserved by God, written prayers, outlining the struggle of their hearts. The Psalms were mainly set to stringed instruments and served as the, the temple hymn book and the devotional guidebook for God's people, and still do to this day. We've seen in that the incredible range. Uh, John Calvin says this book is an anatomy of the soul. You, you, you can't escape. If you read it and study it carefully, you will find every emotion every experience at least alluded to if not included in this engagement with God. The individual Psalms were gradually collected and they, they, they came to be known as the Book of Praises. That's the Jewish title, the Book of Praises. The title we're more familiar with is Psalms, meaning poems sung to the accompaniment of musical instruments. Now, we're going to look at Psalm 4 tonight, but before you get to Psalm 4, the psalmist assumes that you've read 1 to 3. That, I mean, that's, I know that's a big assumption for some of us, but 1 to 3 should be read before 4. In fact, the Bible is designed to be written sequentially. We're, we're pretty typically used to reading here and there and everywhere, but, but it was designed by God to be read in order. And so here are the issues. If we are going to have a heart ablaze for God, and I made reference to that quote this morning by uh, Augustine, whose incredible passion and uh, commitment was engaged through the study of the Psalms. What, how, how remarkable. Let me read it for you again. How loudly, he writes, how loudly I cried out to you, my God, as I read the Psalms of David. Songs full of faith, outbursts of devotion, with no room in them for the breath of pride. How loudly I began to cry out to you in these psalms. How I was inflamed by them with love for you and fired up, fired to recite them to the whole world were I able as a remedy against human pride. Terrific quote. Terrific quote about the power of truth to inflame the heart, to engage the heart so that we don't stay passive or nominal in our commitment, but we're full in with God. We're all in. We've been talking about that. Pastor Rick has been admonishing us to be all in with God. Psalms will help you to do that. They really will. So because the psalmist assumes that you've read 1 to 3, the, the issue, and again, just by means quickly of review, a heart ablaze for God from Psalm 1 will do two things. First of all, it will distance itself from the lifestyle, advice, and input of those who reject God. If you want your heart, your life to be on fire for God, you have some choices to make. You need to reject you need to reject, you need to distance yourself from the lifestyle advice and input of those who reject God. Secondly, 
you need to delight yourself in the law of the Lord, the word of God, and saturate yourself with it. And as you do that, your heart will become ablaze with God and for God. Because God's word is alive and powerful. It comes to life. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Colossians 3.16, we looked at that last week. In Psalm 2, the psalmist engages our hearts with a focus on the Son, the Son of God. Spoken of here as the Lord's anointed or as the King. So, to move forward, we've, we've, we've dealt with Psalm 1, we've responded in obedience. Our hearts are engaged with the Word. Secondly, we are linked in, we are connected, we are honoring the Son of God, Psalm 2. And then beginning in Psalm 3, we are seeking God for grace. So much of David's life, he's saying, I need help. I need help. And if you get close enough to David to hear his heartbeat, isn't that the heartbeat? He cries again and again. He never has enough of God's help. There's always some new challenge. There's some new situation. You can't live on yesterday's grace. You can't store it up and you have, you know, in a great time of worship and then say, well, uh, you know, I, I might engage my heart next Sunday in worship again. No. You and I need daily grace, do we not? Amen? Amen and amen and amen. We could spend the whole night. We need grace. We need God's help. Now, as we come to Psalm 4, Psalm 4, and again, I just want to engage you in this and challenge you to open up this book again, prayerfully, practically, and engage your heart in seeking God in a fresh way. John Chrysostom, an early church leader, wrote in, in his meditation, he, he was preaching and, and writing what was called a homily or a short sermon on Psalm 4, and he wrote to the congregation of which he was seeking to lead and wrote, let us therefore study how to converse with God. Psalm 4, he is saying, as their pastor, one of their pastoral leaders, this psalm teaches us how to converse with God. Listen to what he writes. No intermediary. In other words, we don't need anybody between us except Christ. No intermediary. No oratorical skills are needed. You don't have to take public speaking 101. You don't need that. Only, he writes, a humble, meek, and trusting heart. If you want to be a seeker of God, if you want to learn how to converse with God, you don't need an intermediary. You don't need oratorical skills, but you do need a humble, meek, and trusting heart. And God's people said, amen and amen. Only the ways, he writes, and things of this world keep us separated from God's care. Imagine, fourth century, he's concerned that the world could get between the believer and God. Is that possible in 2013? Galatians 6, God forbid that I should glory, save in the, help me out, cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world, over here, is crucified to me and I to the world. I keep the cross 
between myself and the world? What happens if the world gets between my life and the cross? You call that backsliding. You call that turning away from God. That's the burden. That's what grips our heart. That's the danger we're in if we let our love for Christ wane. So in this psalm, and again, just to launch it and to challenge you and to provoke you, hopefully in a good sense, to, uh, to dig into this, what are three simple lessons we might learn from this psalm about how to converse with God? Number one, pray directly to him. Pray directly to God. Nice. Saying, Pastor Keith, that's pretty obvious. Well, it's not obvious for some people. Pray directly to God. In the light of the New Testament, in the light of the full Bible, David only had, you know, a portion of what we have entrusted to us. In the light of the entire Bible, we know that the way to come to God is through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Or 1 Timothy chapter 2, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So that, the New Testament fills this in for us. So here's the application. Here's the principle. You may be a king. Anybody here a king? Don't think so? You may be the king or you may be an ordinary believer, but you have direct... There's a king over here. We found one. That was just coincidence. Thank you, bro. And he was leading worship tonight. That's great. A king leading worship. Wow. Mark that down. You may be a king. You may be the king. Or an ordinary believer, but you have direct access to God. Notice the, the immediacy, the urgency. Answer me when I call to you that, that that's not demanding that's coming boldly to the throne of grace to find grace to help us in our time of need mark it down mark this reference down look it up later Ephesians 3 11 and 12 verse 12 says in Christ listen use this as you pray in Christ and through faith in Christ we may we may approach God with freedom and confidence isn't that a great text? The Apostle Paul's trying to teach the church, the church in Ephesus, about how to converse with God. He's doing what John Chrysostom is doing in the 4th century. And he says to them, in Christ, your position in Christ must be understood. In Christ and through faith in Christ, you may approach God with freedom, amen, and confidence. We need that. Lesson two, principle number two, pray worshipfully. What do I mean by that? Pray using the attributes of God. That's what this psalm teaches us, if it teaches us anything. Verse one, God is relational. Answer me when I call to you. Let's go through these quickly. God is righteous. Answer me when I call to you, oh my righteous God. God does what is right. What does it mean that God is righteous? 
How does God transfer his righteousness to you through faith in Christ? It's amazing. The moment you trust in Christ, the moment you put your faith in Jesus, God transfers the righteousness of his son into your account. And he declares you, it's called justification, he declares you right, righteous, not because of what you've done, but because of who Jesus is, not by works of righteousness which we have done according to his mercy, he saved us. Get a clear view of the righteousness of God. He is the Lord. Notice that in verse 3. Know that the Lord, it should be all capitalized if you've got a proper translation, the, the covenant making and keeping God, Yahweh. Jehovah is the anglicized version for us. God makes covenants, God keeps covenants, and every time we gather at this table in remembrance of Christ, we are reminding ourselves we're part of this covenant. This new covenant, this new agreement that God has made, this New Testament, uh, confirmed through the work of Christ. This is my body which is broken for you. This is the blood of the new covenant, the new agreement, the New Testament in my blood. It's an amazing arrangement we have. Sanctification. Verse 3. Our God is a God of holiness. He is a God who sanctifies. As we pray, if we meant what we sang under the king who led us. Are you paying attention, Brent? <laughs> if we meant those words that he led us in, we're saying, take my life and let it be. And as we pray that, does God hear that? Does God take us seriously? We're, these are words coming out of our mouth. And I trust, backed by our heart. And God says, all right, that's the, your desire. That's your passion. I'll take your life. And I'll consecrate it. I'll set it apart. And I'll use it on your behalf. I'll use it for my glory. David has a little message, doesn't he, for these skeptical enemies. Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Sanctification. God is a God of holiness and sanctification. He is omniscient. He hears when we pray. Amazing. Call upon me. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near, prophet writes. He's a God of sacrifice. Verse 5. He's a God who must be approached on the basis of a sacrifice. Anybody remember the story of Abraham? Abraham and his son Isaac. God said to him, take your son, your only son whom you love, and, and offer him to me. And as they're walking up Mount Moriah, remember that three days journey? By the way, the Bible on TV portrayed it incorrectly. That version portrayed it radically incorrectly from the relationship of the scriptures. But as they're walking along, Isaac, who's a fairly intelligent and sharp teenager, says to his father, Father, here's the wood, and here's the fire. What's his question? Where's the lamb? We can't come to God without a sacrifice, Father. You've taught me that. Abraham in faith says what? Knowing what God had required, knowing what God was demanding, says in faith, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. Wow, 
Why? What did God provide? A sacrifice. Listen, as you bring a sinner, as you come alongside a sinner who is broken and is wondering, how may I get right with God? You say to them, Jehovah Jireh. He has provided. That's Christ. He died in my place. He died in your place. He took my sin, my guilt, in his own body. What a picture. Offer right sacrifice. He's trustworthy. You may trust God. You can count on God. You may put your faith in him. He's the source of blessing. Verse 6. Who, many, many people are asking, who can show us any good? Do you notice that theme permeating a little bit into our news? What are television news in particular, what are they trying to include in their evening news reports? The good news. We want a good news report, right? There's, a lot, there's lots of bad news. Have you noticed that? Well, we've got to have a little good news. Why? They get tired of talking about all the bad news. Here's the question. Many are asking, who, who can show us any good news? Another word for the good news is gospel. And David said, listen, the, the good news isn't coming from the palace. It's coming from the palace. It's coming from the king. God, the Lord, can show and will and allow by his grace the light of his face to shine upon us. He's a source of joy. What's your joy meter like tonight? Full? Not so full? Empty? In a congregation this size tonight, we're going to be at different places, aren't we not? And some who come to worship, some who come to be led as we were led tonight, we come with hearts that are heavy. And others are filled with joy. But David said, Lord, you, you have filled my heart with greater joy. Uh, then you open your mouth and sing. God's heard my cry. God has seen me through. God has delivered me. I have something to sing about. He will see me through, and I declare it in faith. And in those final verses, he is the God of peace and protection. So principle number one, pray directly to God. Secondly, pray worshipfully. And lastly, pray reflectively. Pray reflectively. Allow time for Selah. Listen to God. I wonder if we really do that. Dr. Don Whitney, who serves at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, Louisville, Kentucky, has a tremendous series of books on spiritual disciplines for the personal, for the Christian life, and also for corporate worship. Tremendous series if you are interested in, in cultivating fresh disciplines, although this new series on uh, Discipleship 128 is going to be tremendous. But here is his counsel in the process of engaging students. These are, listen, these are seminary students. These are leaders who are in training down in Louisville. The discipline which they most 
have the greatest struggle with is the discipline of silence. They can't sit in silence. He said they can do all kinds of things. You want, to write, want me to write a paper, Prof? Sure. Want me to worship? Sure. You want me to be still in a room without any sound and just listen to God with an open Bible? Can't do that. There's a lot of noise in our world, isn't there? And the noise can be distracting. Now, listen, I love music. I love all kinds of music. You know, travel with me back and forth in the 401, you'll hear the station changing a few times, depending on the traffic, of course. I love all kinds of music. But there's times to just be silent. So lastly, as we close, David says to the worshipers, as he engages us in a fresh engagement with God, isn't that what you long for your life, for your family, for this community of God's people? Then pray in silence. Pray reflectively. Let God speak. Prayer, in its essence, Van, a man by the name of Mr. Van Gemmeren wrote, prayer in its essence is a form of communication in which the child of God casts himself without any reservation upon the mercy of God. You take your life, you take your distresses, you take all your life situation, and you bring it to God, and you wait in expectation. We used to sing an old hymn, take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. But if you, like I, struggle with this, we, we, we give the burden to the Lord and then we, then we pick it up and bring it back home. We pray about it and then we, we think, well, I, I, we, you know, we just kind of carry it again and, and it's just hard to leave it. It's hard to trust. That becomes the issue, not the burden, but the issue of trust and trusting God. Are you coming next Sunday? Oh, I don't want to give it all away, but look at Psalm 5-3 as we close. David's still praying. He's not done praying. He has lots more prayers coming out. Many more situations, complex issues in his family, personal life, community that he wants to talk to God about. He needs God's help. What does he say in Psalm 5-3? Morning by morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. Morning by morning, I lay my requests before you and wait in expectation. What does God want to do in your life this week? What's he looking for? How expectantly are you waiting on him? It's amazing. There's an anticipation there's an excitement, there's a joy in taking your complex problem, bringing it to God and saying, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Would you stand together with me for closing prayer? I want to encourage you again to continue to pray for Pastor John at Ritson Road Alliance. We've been tracking with him, and many of you have been praying. He's home from the hospital. And the, the complexity of, of the situation is still uh, very, uh, very severe. Uh, they need the grace and help of God. 
I wonder if there are any others here, if you just put up your hand and say, would you just join us? The Lord knows your heart and my heart. If you just say, would you pray tonight? Would you just include us in closing prayer? Anyone? Thank you. Amen. Let's look to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who daily bears our burdens. Father, thank you that we may cast all our care upon you because you care for us. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We do that, Lord. You hear the cry of our hearts. And we call out to you. I pray for those here tonight who are at a very dark juncture in their own personal life. I pray that you would speak hope into their hearts. That you would remind them that you know all things that you know the end from the beginning, that all things are in your hands. Give them grace to go forward. Help us all to trust you. We pray for Pastor John and for the Ritz and Road Alliance that, Lord, that uh, these lessons that we've been talked, studying and, and reflecting on and speaking of tonight would become very real to them and that you would grant grace and mercy and your help to them in this time. Give your counsel, we pray. May the Spirit of God, who comes alongside us to help, be their comfort, be their wisdom. Provide for them all that is needed in Jesus Christ. And as we go our separate ways, Lord, we pray that you would find us in acts of worship throughout this week, morning by morning, laying our requests before you and waiting in expectation. Give us faith. Increase our faith, O God, and protect us as we walk in fellowship with Jesus who is called to Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.